Hello and welcome to the latest DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. My name is Rod Richards, Head of Business Development for the Claim Solutions Group at DAC Beechcroft. In this episode, Emma Bowens, a partner in the Regulatory Safety, Health and Environment team, is joined by Darren Hale, a Senior Associate at DAC Beechcroft, who is a specialist in data protection. They discuss aggression and violence in the workplace, the use of body-worn cameras as a control measure, and the data protection issues that arise. Hello and welcome to the DAC Beechcroft SafetyNet podcast. My name is Emma Bowens and I'm a partner in the Regulatory Safety, Health and Environment team here at DAC Beechcroft. And today I'm joined by Darren Hale, who is a senior associate here at DACB and um, is a specialist in data protection issues. Welcome to you, Darren. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, So this podcast came about because I was preparing some advice about the risks of violence in the workplace and we were talking about body worn cameras and thinking about that as a potential control measure. Now straight away we were thinking about a number of implications from a data protection perspective Um, but perhaps as a starting point Darren you could give us a short summary of some of the issues in this area. Yes of course. Um, So I think the, f- the first issue to work out is always, well, does data protection apply? And that's a question of what sort of information are you dealing with? And what sort of information are you capturing uh, and therefore holding as a result? And and in particular, whether or not it's personal data. Now, any information from which an individual can be identified, whether that's direct identification or identification by reference to other information that you might hold about them, um, is considered personal data and that brings in all of the obligations of data protection law and the footage captured by body worn videos or cameras would be considered personal data much uh, as is the case with cctv for example um, because uh, capturing live footage of, of individuals and and the context in which they're being captured is is fairly unequivocally personal data so that means that you need to satisfy a number of requirements in order to ensure that you do that lawfully and um, we'll think briefly in the first instance about what some of those core obligations are from a general data protection perspective and then we can think about more practically what that looks like in the context of, of body-worn videos so I'd say that the key requirements are there's probably six of them really um the first one is is lawfulness which has quite a specific meaning in a data protection sense it means can you demonstrate that there is an applicable lawful basis and the gdpr sets out a um six lawful bases for um for using or justifying use of personal data so that could be consent or it could be legitimate interests or it could be a legal obligation um, for example if, however, you've got a more sensitive form of data known as special category data, so that could be information relating to someone's health, or um, it could be information related to someone's racial or ethnic origin, then that's required to satisfy an additional lawful basis. So it, it introduces additional control mechanisms for that more sensitive type of data. The second issue, which is really important, is transparency. So telling individuals about how you're going to, well, firstly, about the fact that you're going to, to capture their personal data in the first place, but then also how you're then going to use it. Now, in the case of body-worn videos, that's, that's difficult because of how they operate, um, but we'll think about that in, in due course. The third area, which is, is really important, is data subject rights. So under the GDPR, 
individuals to whom data relates um, are called data subjects and they have a number of rights over their data so to access it for example they have the right to object to it being used in particular ways in certain circumstances there's a so-called right to be forgotten that many people may have heard of that uh, also applies in certain circumstances where you can ask for your data to be erased and and how you translate those rights into the type of information that we're talking about here is is not straightforward the fourth area which is worth considering is retention so making sure you only keep data for as long as you specifically need it for so when you work out the purpose for which you're going to capture and then hold that footage how long do you need it for in order to give full effect to that footage and, and making sure you don't keep it longer than that and and a critical issue there is is not the sort of rainy day approach you can't just justify keeping it on the basis that you might need it at some point in the future for an, for an unspecified reason uh, the, the fifth area is around data security um, and that's you know often what makes headline news around data so losses of security data losses um, or, or hacking incidents and things of that nature and making sure you have appropriate measures in place to safeguard the integrity of the footage you've got so that could be encryption etc but making sure the security measures you've got in place are appropriate for the specific type of information we're, we're talking about to so the format in which it's held and then finally accountability is really important and this is was a new principle introduced by the gdpr which is to say it's not just about complying with the data protection legislation but also being able to actively demonstrate how you've gone about doing that and there are particular types of documentation and governance that are really key there that we'll talk about in due course but in particular what we'll be looking at there is if you're relying upon legitimate interests in order to justify your use of data then a legitimate impact assessment would be really important as would a data protection impact assessment so those are the key issues on a sort of general basis um, and I think the headline point is to say well the combination of those things would not of themselves absolutely prohibit the use of body-worn videos or body-worn cameras but they're all absolutely critical uh, to navigate in order to make sure that you do so lawfully Great. Well, fa thanks, Darren. It sounds like there's a lot for employers to, to be thinking about. So just taking one step back here to the health and safety considerations. So employers would need to assess the risk of aggression towards those in the workplace um, in their particular environment. So the extent of the risk would depend on many things, which would include things like the industry that they work in, the time of day that they operate, their location and so on. And they may need to have policies regarding prevention and they will certainly need to take measures to make sure that they are doing what is reasonably practicable to control the risk. So the HSE guidance talks about considering ways to detect difficulties, um, thinking about the usual pinch points and also arranging training for staff to diffuse challenging situations early. Now that could be using calming language, being aware of non-verbal behaviour, increasing the distance from the person in question and, you know, just trying to establish control. But, you know, as a control measure, the use of, of body-worn technology is helpful. You know, the police already use it. Uh, they find that it often helps to de-escalate the confrontational situations and can actually prevent the conflict from happening in the first place. And, you know, of course, another reason that it's helpful is because the footage can be used as evidence and also can be used as a training tool to help others to learn about de-escalation. 
So then just moving back to some of the data protection issues, you know, you've given us a really good overview there of some of the obligations and the challenges that might arise here. Could you just go through some some steps that perhaps companies need to think about when considering introducing body-worn cameras? Absolutely, more, more than happy to. And I'll, I'll try to, to break it down to make it as practical as I can. And um, we're going to focus here on, on the first of the of the six so specific issues we outlined at the outset, going to deal with the first five here and pick up accountability separately. Um, but on the first one, lawfulness, as I said, you need to demonstrate what your lawful basis is. And the majority of the time, I would imagine, companies would be relying upon legitimate interests because it's likely to be the only one available for them to justify this this type of, of surveillance, and this, this type of technology. And in doing so, you have to demonstrate that the reason for capturing and then holding the footage and, and the associated personal data uh, serves a legitimate interest. And those interests that you just described there clearly are very likely to be legitimate. But you have to then balance that against the, the, the competing data privacy rights of the individuals concerned. And the ICO Code of Practice in particular notes the inherently intrusive nature of, of body-worn technology. And, and in particular, it is likely to be even more intrusive than a normal CCTV style system because of the fact that it's it's mobile and it's also likely to be focused on a specific individual rather than recording a, a general area. So that's where you need to really make sure you're able to justify it on the basis of proportionality, necessity, and it addresses a pressing social need, um, all of which can be navigated, but it needs to, you need to demonstrate how you can do that. Um, it's also important to, to realise that if you're going to use audio recording as well, then that's considered a sort of an additional layer of intrusion. And you need to justify that as well specifically. So you can't just sort of lump it all together and say that, it, that it's kind of ho wholly justified as a, as, a, as a sort of as a package. You need to think about the specific components of it. Um, and, and thinking about the necessity aspect of it, you need to ask whether the purpose in question could be achieved without the associated processing of personal data. So could you appropriately safeguard individuals' risk of violence, for example, without using body-worn technology? Um, and the answer may well be no, and that's absolutely fine, but you need to have gone through that process in order to, to comfortably and, and justifiably say that's the case. Um, and you also need to think about, um, when, when you're thinking about proportionality and necessity, what what's the, the nature of the environment that you're recording um, because inevitably some settings um, and one of my areas of specialism is, is in health are, are inherently more sensitive um, it may well not necessarily be the case that you're if you're recording in a hospital waiting room for example that you're disclosing details of any individual's treatment or their specific health conditions but the fact that they're in the hospital at all may well be something that they're particularly sensitive about and and clearly that that would follow through for other settings. So private dwellings, fairly obviously why people feel sensitive about that, schools, care homes, etc. So in that scenario, the you have to demonstrate the pressing social need is 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 greater in a way to justify that as necessary and proportionate. Moving on then to the second area discussed here, transparency. So what would typically happen to satisfy the requirements of transparency is to present an individual with a privacy notice. So if you, you click on a website, for example, there will be usually tucked away at the bottom of the screen a link to their privacy notice in which they explain these are the purposes for which we're going to collect your personal data. This is what we're going to use it for. This is how long we're going to retain it, etc. And clearly that's not very 
practically impossible or, or something not very easy to do in a body-worn technology scenario because cameras are likely to be small, discreet. They may not be particularly obvious to those being filmed. There's also a question about, well, if you inform someone about the fact they're about to be filmed, could that in itself be a, a, an aggravating factor? Could that be something which, which prompts further escalation of a situation? Clearly, in other scenarios, it may actually de-escalate scenarios. But there's, there's tricky questions to be asked there. Um, but either way, it makes it more difficult to explain to individuals um, at that point in time how and why you're going to use their data. So there needs to ideally be clear signage on the uniform of the person um, using the camera, which demonstrates that the recording is taking place. Um, and companies also need to think about how they're going to direct individuals to a privacy notice, noting that the scenario in which they're going to be recorded, they're not going to present them with a five page on privacy notice at that point in time, but equally, how can they access that in, in due course? Moving on to the third area, then data subject rights. Uh, we discussed earlier about what some of those rights are. Um, you need to think about how you can give effect to them. And in particular, how you hold the data is really important to that. So if someone wants to access a copy of their personal data, and there, there are exemptions to the right of access, to be clear, we're not going to cover those today. So it doesn't necessarily follow that individuals can unequivocally access their data because there are exemptions, but you have to go through that process to work out whether or not um, any, uh, any of them apply. And how can you do that if you're not able to retrieve the information in question? So um, you need to ideally store the recordings in a way that they're identifiable to specific individuals or the events can be easily identified by reference to the date and time, etc. Um, and if you've got footage that relates to a number of different individuals, then you've got overlapping personal data in effect and that can give rise to complications as well where only one of the data subjects is trying to exercise their rights. Moving on then to retention and how long you're going to keep the footage. We, we talked about that earlier and I don't have a huge amount to add um, other than to emphasize that it's a purpose specific question you need to ask so you could you have to align the, the, the period for which you keep data to the purpose for which you you need it um, and then also critically once you've reached the point at which that retention period has expired then you need to look at the data in question say to yourself do I still need it if so and it's justifiable fine but if not then you do actually have to get rid of it and in doing so it's worthwhile thinking about do you need to keep the entirety of the footage or could you just extract short clips which you know are more appropriate for your needs so again, important to work through that type of consideration and balancing exercise. And then finally, on, on security, um, because of the volume of personal data involved, potentially, um, and the sensitivity of it as well, uh, it's important to make sure that you have appropriately robust technical and physical security in place to protect it, um, to make sure it's not easily hackable, to make sure it's not easily lost. Um, and to make sure that there are appropriate access controls in place for wherever you're storing it so that it's not accessible to, to everyone within your company, for example. So as a bare minimum, you should be looking at encryption um, or if that's not appropriate, have other ways to prevent unauthorized access to information. But the key thing there, I would say, is to make sure you link your security measures to the type of information in question, i.e. in the format of a video footage.
And and I was going to ask you about pitfalls, but it does sound like there are quite a few to be considering here. But what would you say are the main pitfalls that employers need to be uh, focusing on? So, I mean, I, I realise it's trite to say this, but you know, failing to to discharge any of those obligations we've just described would be would be the main one. So, yeah. kind of proceeding in ignorance of, of of the various important legal compliance issues you need to work through, and and mm-hmm. failing to take steps to in order to ensure they're mitigated and, and they're met. But I think taking a step back and um, looking at it holistically, my main concern would be failing to appreciate the specifics that apply to body-worn technology and and, and almost adopt quite a generic approach to to compliance really Um, because those devices have the ability to be to be switched on or or switched off you don't need them on all the time so uh, but equally you know you need to know when you do need need them um, and you need to identify any steps to be taken at that time such as telling the individual you're about to turn it on for example or, or conversely, if you are going to continuously record, then well, that is a level of intrusion that is, is very high because you're likely in that scenario to be capturing scenarios where there's, there's less of a need to record it, for example, because there, there may be less of a, of a threat to you know the individual trying to safeguard at that point in time. You'd need to strongly justify that. So um, you've also got people going about their daily business in a, potentially in a range of different scenarios, depending on the sector we're talking about. So if it's if it's retail, it could be someone going about their daily business, doing that, doing some shopping or whatever it is. It, you know, we've talked about different scenarios in which th- this type of technology might be deployed. So um, there's, you know, that you have to think about the specific justifications in each of those different scenarios. Um, so, you know, what do you need to do in order to make the use of body-worn technology appropriate but also then applying it to your specific sector as well so i think that would be my biggest concern failing to appreciate you know the particularities that go with this type of technology and and working through all the steps to make sure that it's done appropriately yeah great and and what would be the practical steps then that you would suggest companies can do to to avoid some of these pitfalls so i think it comes back to the accountability points that we talked about at the outset um, which to some extent it might be seen as a bit of a box ticking exercise to say well you know we've done x y and z and therefore we can demonstrate our compliance but I think there's much more to it than that because by thinking about how you would demonstrate compliance if pushed to do so inevitably gets you to think about how you are compliant so going through that process makes you think about all the various things you, you would need to demonstrate in order to ensure that you're acting lawfully so um, there's a couple of things in that that I mentioned at the start and a, and a couple of assessments that you should carry out and the first is a legitimate impact assessment if your lawful basis is legitimate interest which I'm you know pretty certain it would be in most scenarios uh, and what that does is um, there are templates available that you can um, you can get from the ICO website and it prompts you to think about all those things about necessity proportionality and the attendant intrusion into privacy rights so it gets you to think about where the buzz where the pinch points are i suppose and, and where the balances are and uh, and what you need to do to, to mitigate any of those things so done properly that is not a sort of after the event thing that's something you do up front to make sure that you're you know you, that what you're thinking of introducing hits all those various requirements of data protection law and then you've also got the data protection impact assessment um, data protection impact assessments or DPIAs are required in 
a number of specific scenarios, but particularly where you're proposing to implement or use new technology. So if you've never used this type of technology before and are planning to do so, it's highly likely, um, if not certain, the obligations to carry out a DPAA would arise. And that's a, a broader assessment to risk assess the technology more generally. So what it's designed to do is to capture the, the risks associated with it, and in particular, the risks from a data protection perspective, what the mitigations are that you could put in place to, to sort of um, bring down the level of that risk, and then any further regulatory steps that are required as a result. And the key one which may arise there is if the outcome of your data protection impact assessment is that ov overall you're left with a, a high risk to data subjects which cannot be appropriately mitigated, then you are obliged to consult with the um, the ICO, the Information um, Commissioner, before you can proceed with your proposed implementation of the technology. Um, I probably should have mentioned at the outset, um, or at least when I first mentioned them, the ICO, by the way, is, for those who don't know, is the regulator for data protection in the UK. So, um, mm. so in that scenario, you would need to consult with them. Now, I would anticipate that in the majority of scenarios, it, it's likely that you could mitigate your risks down to a level that's beyond high, such that 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 obligation does not arise but there again uh, there's no guarantee that's the case and so I wanted to mention it um, but but either way working through those two sort of key assessments legitimate impacts and data protection impact you're, you're likely to kind of flush out all the key issues that you need to work through before you implement the technology. Thanks for that, Darren. I mean, that it sounds like a very uh, complex area, but it's been a, a really interesting discussion uh, to go through all of the various implications and the obligations and, and your tips on, on how to sort of work through what uh, what employers should be doing. So thank you for that. Um, hopefully that's provided food for thought for those those listening. Um, if you have uh, any questions in relation to what we've discussed today, or you would like to, to get some advice from us, then obviously do contact us, our contact details are on our website, or you can email us at she, which is S-H-E, at dacbeachcroft.com. Uh, so if you do have questions, do get in touch, and thank you for listening. <laughs>